Welcome to the Empowering Midlife Wellness Podcast, where we talk about everything to do with midlife women's wellness and creating the best second half of life. I'm your host, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. I'm a board-certified gynecologist, certified menopause practitioner and hormone replacement specialist, as well as an ICF-certified life and leadership coach and lots of other things. So if you want to check me out and learn about my private practice and other offerings, my website is www www.drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. It's my commitment to stay neutral by not accepting advertising dollars from sponsors. So all of these episodes are offered freely. And the best way that you can help this podcast is to share it with your friends, leave a positive review, and also keep in mind this is simultaneously posted in video format on YouTube, where you can find me by searching for Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm digging into my relationship with alcohol and then going through some of the most important reasons why you might want to consider limiting alcohol or even eliminating it from your nutrition plan. Hi friends and welcome to this week's episode. I want to share a little bit today about my relationship with alcohol and why I have personally decided to severely restrict, not completely eliminate, but severely restrict alcohol and how much better I feel and then go over some health benefits about why that might be something for you to consider and understanding that everybody's different. I really do want to challenge this cultural normalcy around drinking so much alcohol. I mean, if you look at a TV show, I was just watching this show, I love it, uh, Sex Life, super sexy show. Every single scene, everyone has a glass of wine in their hand. Now, we know historical shows like Mad Men really displayed this uh, overuse of alcohol and cigarettes, and it was kind of part of the culture in the 1950s. But these are modern TV shows. So I'm just looking at those, and now that I'm drinking less, just so amazed about how normal it is to see people with a glass of wine or whiskey or whatever it is in their hand all the time. So we've just been culturally taught to normalize this persistent use of alcohol and thinking that drinking alcohol every day is absolutely normal and fine because everyone else is doing it. But there are significant health consequences when we continue doing that. So I think it's just time to take a look at that with a little bit of honesty because doing something mindfully when you're educated and you're deciding to do it with thought and intention is one thing. But just mindlessly drinking a glass of wine because you just walked in the door and that's just what you do every day, which is what I was doing, that's something to think about. So just throwing that out there as a suggestion of another way to improve our health. So just a little bit about my history with alcohol, which I don't think is unusual and you might resonate with some of these things, but we can sort of see how this daily or occasional binge use of alcohol is just pretty normalized. So I grew up in a family that seemed pretty normal on the outside, but later in life I found out that my father was an alcoholic. Now he wasn't the typical alcoholic that I would think about. I never knew that he drank. He actually drank secretly, which is an absolutely horrible way to live, to have this awful secret, but he was functioning very normally during the day as a physician, and then he would come home, eat dinner with the family, and then he would go to his study, and we thought he was working, but he was drinking a bottle of gin. 
and then he would repeat that most days and nobody knew he was an alcoholic. He did quit drinking when he was about 50, turned his life around, told the story about how this happened, but that shaded my understanding of alcohol from an early age. And then as a teenager and in my 20s, I did what everybody did. We had parties where there was plenty of binge drinking. I frequently drank till I threw up or passed out. There were plenty of times that I couldn't tell you what happened the night before. And that was normal. So nobody thought anything about it. There was probably quite a bit of drunk driving going on. It was all just what everybody did, right? And then later in life, there were periods of time where I quit drinking altogether with no problem. Uh, for example, when I was pregnant or when I was doing Ironman races, I didn't drink at all. Um, it was just something that was not acceptable to do. In that particular culture, you don't drink alcohol. And so I followed along. So I was very much driven by what culture said was normal. I just sort of floated along and didn't think much about it. So the fact that I could stop at any time, I thought, well, then I can't have a problem or I didn't really pay much attention to it. And then as I got into perimenopause, I really started noticing, as many of you do, that alcohol, even in a small amount, like a glass of wine at night, started disrupting my sleep. And I would drink alcohol to make me sleepy, which it would help with going to sleep, and then I would wake up early and that cycle would repeat. So I really started noticing how my relationship with alcohol was starting to change because for sure as we get older, especially around the time of menopause, we cannot handle alcohol the way we used to. And we particularly notice it with sleep and mood changes. And because alcohol is a depressant, most of us know that, it makes you feel really happy maybe for the first class, but if you're drinking alcohol when you're feeling sad, it's gonna make it a hundred times worse. So mood changes, sleep disruptions, not to mention, it makes you get fat. There's a lot of calories in wine. And so, so many reasons why women in midlife may want to just do a quick inventory of how much we're drinking and then assess whether we want to continue doing that from a mindful point of view. And whatever you decide is entirely up to you. I'm not advocating that everybody stop drinking alcohol because many people have a very healthy relationship with alcohol, but some people don't. And I'm just going to say that I'm sort of tipping the scales on that category because I've, you know, I was drinking about half a bottle of wine most nights. You know, in our household, we love good wine. We pop a cork and that bottle is empty. And so that is about 25 ounces of wine in a bottle. And one alcoholic drink, according to most guidelines, is five ounces of wine. And I'll show you what five ounces of wine looks like in a glass. It's not very much. So if I drank this, I wouldn't think I was drinking very much. It's a very small glass of wine, right? Well, that's five ounces, and that's what's considered to be one alcoholic drink a day. 12 ounces of beer would be considered one alcoholic drink, or 1.5 ounces of spirits, like whiskey, gin, or vodka. That's one drink a day. And most organizations who look at alcohol consumption recommend that women drink no more than seven alcoholic drinks a week. That would be one a day, obviously. So half a bottle of wine is two and a half a day and adds up or seven a week. So if you're drinking three on one day, then you know, I do the math. So when we get beyond one alcoholic drink a day, a lot of health conditions start to be worsened. And I'm gonna to talk to you about some of those. So it really is something interesting to do an inventory of, I think, and when I did that, I was pretty surprised. I was drinking a lot more than I thought. 
A funny story about the first time this ever crossed my mind was during COVID. And many of you might remember there was that period of time, maybe March to May of 2020, when I personally wasn't working very much. Uh, surgery was shut down. We couldn't see patients in the office very efficiently. So I was sort of at home doing Zoom calls or not much of anything, bored, scared, wondering what was happening to the world. And so many of us, and I was in that group, started drinking more often and earlier. So I might start drinking wine at three o'clock because I had nothing else to do. Gym was closed. I was feeling down, couldn't go to work, was worried about the world. And, you know, I might polish off a bottle all by myself. Now, where I live in West University in uh, Texas, we have recycling day once a week. And I will never forget the day that I took the recycling container out to the street because I'm very religious about recycling. And it was practically full of empty wine bottles. And only a week had passed. And there were more than seven empty bottles. I don't know how many. And one of my kids said, did you have a party? <laughs> and I lied and said, uh, yes, I did. But I didn't. I realized that was just me. And so there was a real wake-up call uh, seeing the evidence of how much I had drank because I really didn't have a perception of it. It just seemed like I was sipping on a glass of wine and watching TV. So sometimes we have to do an inventory, and I think that's a really good place to start. So before I give you the list of all the good reasons why I think it's good to cut down or stop alcohol, I want to give you some suggestions about what to do first. Number one would be to make an inventory for, say, a month about how much you really are drinking and try to get a sense of what the volume is. For example, I showed you what a five-ounce glass of wine looks like. You might be measuring in terms of bottles or bottles of beer or shots of vodka. <laughs> and just add up how many you're drinking in a week. Be very honest with yourself. I would also be very honest with yourself asking some questions about whether your alcohol consumption is causing any problems in your life. Is it harming your relationships? Is it causing you to miss deadlines, miss work? Are you ever drinking and driving? even a little bit, because I'll talk to you about some statistics about that. Even a small amount of alcohol below what's considered to be the legal limit of intoxication increases our risk of getting in a car accident by many fold. So just be very honest with yourself and answer some of those questions. You know, there's some little questionnaires that people have been throwing around for years. I remember in medical school being taught to ask patients the CAGE questions. And these are questions that are designed to identify someone who is a serious alcoholic, but actually they can be very useful questions for any of us, even if we don't consider ourselves to be in that category. So C-A-G-E, the first one stands for cut down. That means have you ever thought you should cut down on your alcohol consumption? I would answer that, yes, I have thought I should cut down on my alcohol consumption. Number two, A, have you ever felt annoyed by someone else telling you to cut down on your alcohol consumption? Yes, I have. <laughs> I can answer that one in the positive. Number three, G, have you ever felt guilty about the amount of alcohol that you drink? Yes, I have felt guilty about the amount of alcohol I drink. For example, when I took the recycling out that time and saw how many empty bottles there were. And number four, E, have you ever had an eye-opener? 
which is a name for drinking alcohol first thing in the morning to get rid of a hangover or to give you the energy to go to work. And I cannot answer positively to that one, but according to the CAGE questionnaire, I would get a three out of four. And two out of four is enough to identify some type of disordered relationship with alcohol. So when I did that just for fun, I thought, hmm, maybe I need to look into this a little bit more. So I invite you to do that very honestly. And just think to yourself, what are you getting out of it? What could you be losing by drinking alcohol if it's affecting your relationships, your health, your weight, your sleep, your moods? And what could you gain by giving it up? Maybe the opposite of all of those. Or maybe you could find a happy medium. Again, I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm just suggesting to go into this mindfully because we're so indoctrinated with alcohol absolutely everywhere on TV, every restaurant, every meal, alcohol is everywhere. And it's very easy to become mindless about our consumption. So I'm gonna to talk to you about some health issues that are associated with alcohol that you can put into your decision tree when you're deciding what to do. Number one, alcohol is a potent carcinogen. That means it causes cancer. And there is no safe amount of alcohol to say that this is the amount that you need to cause cancer and this amount is safe. There are at least seven cancers that have an increased risk associated with alcohol. The most important one for women is breast cancer. Breast cancer is highly related to alcohol use and the more alcohol we drink, the higher our risk of breast cancer. It's got a linear relationship and there's no amount of alcohol that's been shown to be safe for breast cancer. So if we go back to the idea of drinking no more than one alcoholic beverage a day using that five ounces of wine guide. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's okay, uh, but more than that, certainly the more we drink, the higher our risk of breast cancer. And then a bunch of cancers from the mouth all the way down to our colon. Everything to do with our GI tract. So cancer of the mouth, the throat, the stomach, colon, everything from top to bottom because alcohol is poisonous. <laughs> now we think about it, we use alcohol to kill germs. It's, it's a toxin. It's used to, it's an antiseptic. So we're drinking this poisonous carcinogenic substance and it causes cancer down the whole route of travel as well as causing breast cancer and probably some other cancers that we don't know about. So that is something to think about. Number two, sleep is disrupted by alcohol. And I mentioned that already. Many of us find in midlife that even a glass of wine might help us go to sleep, but we wake up early. So sleep disruption is critical. We've talked so much about the importance of good sleep. It's associated with longevity, reduction in weight, reduction in all kinds of diseases, including dementia. Not to mention we function better and we feel better when we've had a good sleep. So sleep disruption is really a big deal, and I talk about it a lot, but if I'm wearing my aura ring and I drink alcohol, my deep sleep will be disrupted, my REM sleep will be disrupted. We all know that people who are really drunk are passed out and snoring, but they're not getting good oxygen, they're not getting deep restorative sleep. So sleep disruption is a huge problem and something to really think about if you're using alcohol. Now, if you are drinking alcohol and you have a healthy relationship with it, we often say one alcoholic drink will get out of your system in an hour, two alcoholic drinks will take two hours to get out of your system, and so on. So if you have two glasses of wine, you might want to finish them by eight o'clock so it doesn't disrupt your sleep, or you might want to cut back to one 
or you might want to not drink at night at all. And so if you're not drinking at night, hopefully you're not drinking any other time of day either. But you get the picture, it disrupts our sleep. Number three, it causes weight gain. Well, just right on the face of it, alcohol has a lot of calories, and depending on what type you choose to drink, a whole bunch of sugar. So let's dig into that. Now, a glass of wine, which was my favorite, has about 120 calories, and that would be a five ounce glass of wine. And remember, I wasn't drinking a five ounce glass of wine, but let's just assume five ounces is 120 calories. Now, if you're drinking half a bottle of wine, like maybe I was, that's two and a half times that, right? So now we're up to more than 300 calories, just wasted calories. Now, 300 calories might be the amount that you burn doing a jog on the treadmill for 30 minutes. So, you know, we have to sort of think about where we're choosing to use our calories. And then sugar, uh, which is very, very high in some alcoholic drinks, is a, a real issue for weight gain, as we know. Now, a dry red wine might have only one gram of sugar, which is not very much unless you have five of them, for example. But uh, if you're making a mixed drink, like a pina colada, for example, could have up to 30 grams of sugar. So imagine drinking three pina coladas, which I've done when I'm on vacation in Mexico or something like that. I mean, we're getting up to 100 grams of sugar just from your drink, let alone what you're eating. So it can add up very quickly. And certainly some alcohol has more sugar than others. We often talk about uh, rum, vodka, tequila, pretty much negligible as far as sugar. White wine has more sugar than red. Dry wines have less sugar than sweet wines. And so some of it's obvious, but most of it's just to do with volume. Uh, you know, one glass of dry red wine, sure, that's a gram of sugar, but three, it's adding up, right? And we're trying to decrease sugar because sugar makes us fat. <laughs> it's a lot of calories, disrupts sleep, and on and on it goes. Number four, alcohol messes up our gut biome. Now, this is just so interesting because, you know, we put it in our mouth, it travels down our gut. I already mentioned that it causes cancer from top to bottom of our gut because this is a potent carcinogen. You know, we use it as an antiseptic. Let's think about it. Uh, but it messes up our gut biome. So you put alcohol um, on a wound to kill bacteria. So alcohol kills bacteria. So it damages our healthy gut biome. And we know a lot now, and we've talked here a lot about how important it is to have a healthy gut biome for practically every health condition that exists. But certainly common things like weight management, insulin resistance, autoimmune disease, so many things. Now granted, by the time alcohol gets into our colon, where the healthy gut biome is living, much of it's been metabolized by the liver, but some of it hasn't. And so we know patients who drink excessively have uh, deficiencies in many vitamins. We lose the ability to absorb critical nutrients like magnesium and B vitamins. You know, when I was in med school and a, you know, alcoholic would be brought in because he'd been found passed out on the street, I thought that was a whole different animal, right? But we would first of all give him or her a bag of multivitamins because every alcoholic we were taught is nutritionally deficient not only because they're probably drinking and not eating any food, but they're not able to absorb nutrients from their food. So that might seem like an extreme example, but remember everything's on a continuum. So what happens to someone with an extreme degree of alcoholism happens to all of us who are drinking alcohol even in a moderate fashion. Number five, 
it disrupts or even destroys relationships. Now, this is something to really think about because the divorce rate in the United States, we know, is somewhere between 40 and 50% on a good day. But more than 50% of people who get divorced cite alcohol use as one of the factors involved. And if there is an alcoholic person or someone who has a disordered relationship with alcohol in the relationship, they are more than five times more likely to get divorced. So that might seem obvious, but why is that? Well, when we're drinking, we don't think clearly. We don't make good decisions. We're often not rational or nice to be around. Many people become angry, even violent. It doesn't create a good situation for relationships. So relationships are the key to living a good, happy life. So we need to protect and nurture our relationships. And it's very difficult to do that when we are taken off course and our wise self is sedated by alcohol. And I can tell you myself that alcohol puts my wise self to sleep and it fires up some other parts of myself that are not as wise. And I think most of you can resonate with that if you're very honest. Our wisdom likes to go to sleep with a glass of wine and our childish part likes to wake up and become very vocal. <laughs> so this can be very disruptive to relationships, whether it's a partnership, friendship, relationship with your children, or even with yourself. Be very honest and look at how that might have affected you at different points in your life. Number six, it causes brain damage. <laughs> now this is Serious, right? We were talking about that last week regarding dementia and Alzheimer's. Alcohol is related to an increased risk of all case dementia and even Alzheimer's. And if you do an MRI of someone who drinks alcohol excessively, their brain is actually going to be smaller. Yikes, um, I don't want that. And we all know that alcohol causes memory disruption. Uh, excessive alcohol causes a block in the area of the brain called the hippocampus, which is responsible for short-term memory, which is why when you binge drink, you can't remember what happened. Now, even a small amount of alcohol can make memories a little bit fuzzy. I've had that experience where I've drank, you know, a normal amount, right? Two glasses of wine. And my memories of the details of the previous night were not crystal clear. I mean, it was almost like it happened a week ago. And when I started thinking about that, it felt very scary. My brain is not operating well. We do not want brain damage. So alcohol causes brain damage. Something to think about. Number seven, alcohol causes risky and dangerous behavior. And I'm going to point out the obvious one, which is car accidents. Now, something that I was very surprised to learn is that even a very small amount of alcohol can increase our risk of getting in a car accident by more than tenfold. So the legal limit here in Texas would be having a blood alcohol content of 0.1% or more. And with a blood alcohol content that high, which many people arguably claim they feel completely sober and safe. That would be like me drinking two glasses of wine and then driving home from a restaurant. I might feel normal, but I'm not. That increases the risk of getting in a car accident more than 18-fold. Crazy, right? And even half of that, well below the legal limit, like one glass of wine for me, being a small woman and driving home from a restaurant, increases my risk of getting in a car accident more than eight times. I just think that's amazing. So drinking and driving, you shouldn't do it at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, first of all, you don't think clearly. We just can't make good decisions. And getting in a car accident and killing yourself is one thing, but having to live with 
the rest of your life knowing that you hurt or harmed or killed another person, I don't think that's something I could do. So I had to just rethink that whole situation and just say zero. So fatal car accidents in the United States are one third of the time, one third of the time associated with alcohol. I just think that's amazing. The rest are caused by distracted driving. Texting and driving is number one. And speeding is number two, alcohol is number three. So one third of all fatal accidents are caused by drinking and driving. And in 2021, over 13,000 people died on the road in the United States as a result of drinking and driving. It's just not a small thing. And drinking and driving is one example of a risky behavior, but there are so many more because we're not thinking clearly. So it's very hard to make good decisions. So number eight, I'm just going to lump together as numbing our wisdom. When we drink alcohol, when I drink alcohol, I make decisions that are not coming from my highest self because I mentioned alcohol makes our highest self go to sleep and it makes our childish self wake up. And so frequently, or I would say all of the time when we've been consuming alcohol, we are much more likely not to make wise decisions and they can affect any of the things that I previously mentioned. So the time to do an inventory regarding your alcohol is not when you've been drinking, but when you're sober in a very good state of mind to mindfully take an inventory of what you're drinking, as I suggested, and honestly assess whether your alcohol drinking has been causing any problems in any of the categories that I mentioned particularly in relationships, with work, with sleep, with weight, all of the things that I mentioned. And then see where that falls for you. So in my case, I love tasting wine. It's part of the culture in my family. And so I have limited alcohol to just a sip. I can taste it. So if I want to taste wine, and I being very honest, I really don't need the whole glass. I can have a really good experience with tasting wine from just having a taste. So that's where I'm falling with alcohol. I'm going to plan to continue having a taste of wine a couple of times a week and then just see how it goes. And I'll update you on how my experience it is. And to think about the health effects that I mentioned because we don't want any of those things. So that's my two cents about alcohol. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe. I look forward to seeing you next week.